Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, if you were here, first off, you got to enjoy my sauerkraut and pork. All of you teasing me about being a Yankee. I saw that empty slow cooker. So, uh, you know, I know only those jokes go so far as your stomach. So I know how that went. But we also did some singing and we also did, you know, we listened to some texts and I talked a little bit about those two texts, Ecclesiastes and Matthew 25. And we talked about the fact that one of the reflections out of that text was that it was our task going forward to just do the work. Now, I said last week that that didn't seem like the most exciting or glamorous ways to kick off 2023, right? But that, at the end of the day, maybe what we seek more than anything anymore is authenticity and honesty. We'd rather the text speak to us in truth and not necessarily packaged up in a bow that once we open the gift, we realize it wasn't what we wanted anyway. And this combination of Ecclesiastes 3 and Matthew 25 invited us to consider that we can't always know the beginning, we can't always know the end, but that we're tasked with doing the work in front of us in the present. And that present task, according to Matthew, was a care for those who the world had started to leave behind. But when we start thinking about that, a lot of questions can come up. Oh gosh, like, uh, you know, how long are we supposed to do that? Jesus is supposed to be back by now? I mean, it's, I mean, the Jags are going to the playoffs. You've got to figure by now Jesus would be coming back. You know, how, how are we equipped to do this? It happens a lot of times in churches, especially churches that have seen decline in their history. They'll say, oh, well, we don't have as many volunteers. We don't have as many people. We can't do as much as we used to. Are we equipped? And then we ask the question, you know, what are we asked to do in the first place? So it's really great that, that we're being tasked to do all this discipleship work, Jesus. But then our minds start to crank. They're like, okay, so how are we actually going to do this? And, and those questions... Even if they're the ones that were taught in our business schools or taught in the schools of hard knocks are the right questions to ask, and they are. But they can distract us out of the present moment, and they can distract us a little bit from what God is calling us to do. And perhaps more importantly, All those questions really belie a deeper question that we continue to keep in our hearts as we plod forward in our lives, and it's to say, where is our comfort? If you remember, I mentioned during Advent that one of the hardest parts about church life and Christian walk is that it's not the easiest thing in the world, despite what some churches will tell you to do it well, to, you know, care for the poor and feed the hungry and to do all that. It's not the easiest thing. So where's our comfort? And so today we're going to kick off a series to answer that question between now and Ash Wednesday. And the, t- the, the title of the series is the title of this sermon today, Jesus Emmanuel, Forever. So Matthew, here today, we're celebrating the baptism of our Lord. Epiphany was two days ago. Sorry, we didn't have an Epiphany celebration. I don't know if any of you were really jonesing to come to church on the 6th to do Epiphany. 
you might have been glued to C-SPAN, which is probably the only time in your life you're ever going to be glued to C-SPAN, so I didn't want to you know, leave you from that opportunity. But today we're celebrating the baptism of our Lord, and this familiar scene that we hear often, all the time, continues to be a reminder for us that Jesus really matters. Because it's easy, especially as mainliners that, that are at least, let's say, as a Presbyterian church, we're in the center of the theological world, and many of us might lean a little to the left. Well, it's easy to relax ourselves into focusing solely on Jesus as an exemplar in this world. Well, Jesus may be not divine, but certainly was a good person. Jesus was a thoughtful leader. Jesus came up with a lot of really good ideas that if we just followed his instruction manual like a good self-help book, the world would be a whole lot better. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, if all of us decided today that we were going to live like Jesus, fully invested in it, I think the world would be a pretty good place. But it really falls short, though. Because it ultimately makes Jesus imminent and not transcendent. In other words, it turns Jesus simply into a historical artifact. Like, I could say it would be good for a lot of us to live like Abraham Lincoln. It would be good for us to live like, I don't know, Gandhi. But that falls short because those are historical figures caught in time. But instead, what we witness here in this baptismal moment is we witness a scene that is beyond time. Jesus here is connecting with God. The Trinity is gathered together here in this moment. Do you notice that? Here's Jesus, God the Son, God, God the Father, and the Spirit, God the Spirit, descending together. They're having a party on earth. Natalie, thank you. That was it. <laughs> and that moment of the Trinity gathering together was a sign that Jesus was just a little bit more than a good teacher with some good ideas. Jesus is a revolutionary, universe-altering, time-tearing figure. And what does Jesus do? How does this, all this get started? Well, it's Jesus saying, I came to do the right thing. Right? And we can understand John's reaction to be like, dude, like you are, as far as I can tell, the Savior of the world. I should be asking for you to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let's do the right thing. God, God's self, is saying to John, let's do the right thing, and you need to baptize me. And in the conversation with the Isaiah passage today, we can see how important this chosen servant really is. Now, there's a caveat at the beginning. Anytime we have these conversations, and especially as we're going to work through the Gospel of Matthew, who intentionally is trying to connect 
the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, with the people who are hearing it now for the first time, right? Matthew is our link between the old and the new. Even saying old presumes that there is something dusty and not living in these texts. And we can at times presume that these Hebrew texts can only be read through a Christian lens, and that's not true. Any of us who have any Jewish friends that go to synagogue know that there's a lot more life to these texts, and they can't just simply be read by our lenses here today. But we also don't want to ignore the fact that as Christians, we do look through the texts through the lens of the New Testament, so we have to balance that out. So we can't be reductionistic on one side to the Jewish tradition, but we have to acknowledge that our New Testament helps us understand, and especially with Matthew, how these two things can be interconnected. So I want to make that caveat before we continue. But it's interesting in Isaiah 42 that as the writer talks about the Savior coming into the world and bringing forth justice, that the verb tense there is imperfect. Now, any of you who've had to study English already know what I'm talking about, but for those of you who did not have the glory of studying perfect and imperfect tenses, let me tell you, the perfect tense means that something has already been completed, that the, that the verb itself has achieved its end, but the imperfect is one that the action has not entirely been completed yet. So it's interesting to think here that the Savior of the world who is coming forth is bringing forth justice, but it is incomplete. The justice itself hasn't fully realized itself. So the servant that is talked about here in Isaiah, which we want to read as Jesus, perhaps somebody who does not ascribe to the same Christian belief, might, there's arguments that it could have been the the people of Israel, some other uh, potential prophets, others. But for our sake, we're going to say that this is Jesus. The servant will begin the work, but it won't have reached its conclusion just yet. But if we take Isaiah at his word, that servant will not grow faint, and will not be crushed until that action has been fully completed. So now we start to hear the parallels between Matthew 25 and this text today and the Tanakh, which is another way to talk about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. A Savior is going to establish justice and will transform the world to right living Matthew 25 tells us that the task also falls on to us. And this is where I think our comfort lies. That until justice has been fully realized, until the imperfect becomes perfect, the Savior will not rest. The Savior will not be defeated, will not be crushed. There will not be a moment that the Savior will stop the work of justice in this world. And in fact, the world itself, the ground where the land meets the sea, hopes for it to be so. Can you imagine 
grabbing a piece of sandy dirt out there in the courtyard. You bring it to your ear, and it says to you, gosh, I am just waiting for justice to finally be completed. Now, you might throw that dirt on the ground again, but the ground itself, the water itself, hopes for this justice to happen. So no matter how dire it is, no matter how dour it is, no matter how difficult it seems out there, Jesus is here and is not worn out from the effort. Jesus then for us is God with us, Emmanuel, until the end, until everything is as it should be. And because Jesus is not just simply a historical figure, but is part of bending the entire universe, that transcends everything else. With that, I think, some other questions can start to take shape. Now we're not asking, well, do we have enough? Are we capable? Do we have the equipment to do it? We're not asking those questions so much, but we're asking more about how we're in partnership with Jesus as a co-laborer, partners in the work of justice. Now think to yourself, many of you have been to different churches throughout your lives. How many churches have you heard ask that question first and foremost? Like I'm begging one of you just to say, yeah, we, we have. But the silence answers the question, doesn't it? I get it, we're Presbyterian, we don't shout, but I would have expected it. How many churches ask themselves, are we truly partners with a never-resting Jesus Christ as a co-laborer, partner in the work of justice? What if every single action, every single ministry, every single thing that we do answers that question? What if when we get to the congregational meeting and you see our 2023 budget, if you could very easily see that every single dollar spent at South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church connects to that question, answers that question? That's what a budget should do, friends. Our criteria, our evaluation for every single ministry that we do should be asking, how are we feeding the hungry? How are we quenching those who thirst? How are we clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and in prison? Now, those are wide definitions. We can get caught in the literalism of those statements and say, well, all we need to do is go do Salzbacher feedings, which are wonderful and I think are terrific. We should do those. But you know there's a lot of different ways people are hungry in the world, right? There's a lot of different ways people are thirsty. There's a lot of different ways that people are naked, seeking to be clothed. There are a lot of ways people are sick and a lot of ways that people are imprisoned. Those should be the questions, dear friends, that we are asking ourselves as a church. 
And aren't those such different questions than what the church of Jesus Christ asks itself? And if we take Matthew 25 seriously from last week, it's at our peril. Remember, it was kind of like an eternal salvation, damnation sort of thing. But as we go through these next weeks, I think we'll see that this is not just a one-way street. The gospel texts in the lectionary invite us to remember that this is a relationship. Jesus comes to us with curiosity. Jesus seeks to bring us together and keep us together. We are not alone in this task. So throughout 2023, starting in this series, I'm going to keep asking this question to myself and to each of you. Whether you're here today or you're online or you have yet to join us, you're going to hear me ask this question. Are we willing to take this up? Are we willing to do the work? Are we willing to ask the right questions? The addition should be, are we willing to do it when we know that Jesus is with us until the very end? Again, what would it be like some pastor X years from now said, have you ever had a church ask themselves, are they really living it out? You could raise your hand in the middle of a pew and say, yeah, this church of Jacksonville I knew about, that I was a part of, did. We did that all the time. I wonder what that would do. Are we ready to take up the work? Thanks be to God.